there's always this moment where like the concert's finishing and like end of the end of the last movement or whatever, or like even when that applause is coming, like it ends. And then it's just like this great, like cathartic moment where it's like all this work I've done and all this like time moving, it doesn't just translate into like money in my pocket. And it doesn't just translate into like a good business deal for somebody else. It like makes people happy. Welcome to episode 118 of the Bay Shed podcast. My name is Ryan Roberts. All right, what's up, folks? What's up, folks? Uh, Here's a little update. Here's a little update. A couple episodes ago, I read a review that was left about the podcast. And the review was basically, you have cool guests on the show, but shut the F up, right? That's on the, on the, the previous episode, I read the review as it was written and that's what it was. And my response to it was hit me up directly, right? Email me. It felt personal. So let's hit me up, hit me up personally. I, uh, I did not receive an email after that episode, but what I did receive was an Instagram message. Uh, on my personal account that um, it was from I'm not gonna say the name or even the the handle but it was from somebody that had no picture no followers was following nobody and had no posts right it was like a completely barren account and they, they sent me a message that was nice they said cool I listened to your podcast for the first time you know, it's the way you, uh, you know, interact with the guests. It's, it's very much like jazz. It's just a conversation. You know, they went on to say some very kind things, and I appreciate that. Um, but it did feel a little weird that the person, it still kind of felt like a catfish thing, right? I don't know. I, I thank the person for the kind words, and I also asked them if they were indeed B-flat jazz bass, the one that left the, uh, that told me to shut the F up on podcast on Apple Podcasts review. Don't know. Never heard back from that. So, but that's just where that, that landed. That's what happened there is the mystery. The mystery continues to grow. But, but it's not as uh, negative <laughs> as it was previously. Uh, what else? What else is some news? All right. This is happening. This is happening. Um, so I have this PJ, right? I'm going to, I'm going to nerd out about gear just for a second. I got this PJ. Uh, Defender, you know, P-Bass, Jazz Bass. It's got a Jazz Bass neck. I was interested in new pickups for it. I bought the bass. One, to have a four-string to teach on. Two, it's kind of a, like a little fun hobby bass where I can just mod it and just check out different stuff uh, that I'm curious about and use that as the bass to do it with. So um, I had been kind of going down the rabbit hole of looking up different pickups and different PJ sets. And then a friend of mine suggested, like, dude, just do a review, like, document the process of it and, you know, review each pickup. Like, hmm, that's fascinating. So uh, there's a couple companies I'm interested to check out their PJ sets, only because, you know, I want to and I want to hear it back to back. And so I'm going to completely standardize the, the shootout, right? Same base, the same rig, everything. Everything is the same. So, uh, and even have uh, kind of different players come in. I'll play it, obviously, for myself, and I can hear how it reacts to me playing. But for the shootout, to document the process that I'll eventually post, uh, I'm going to get some other players in here to 
that, that have a different touch than I do. So maybe, uh, you know, someone with a harder who digs in really deep will get a different sound out of the bass than I am. And that, you know, that will speak to how the, the pickup reacts to uh, digging in like that. So that's the thing. I'm, I'm putting together this shootout. The companies uh, that are at the top of my list to reach out to for PJ sets are Delano, uh, Aguilar, North Strand, obviously Fender. Howard Ulyat built the custom pickup for my five string fretless. I want to hit him up. I would love to check out his pickups in this. Uh, the reason I'm talking about this now is because if any listeners have a pickup company in mind that you would you think should be part of this shootout, hit me up. That's what I'm asking for. Is you know I want I would hope that the listeners of the podcast would would be involved. And if you have a pickup company or if you've been interested to check out a pickup company, uh, you know, and you'd be interested in having having that pickup company be part of this, let me know. I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> I don't have a lot of pull in the bass pickup world. You know, I'll, I'll make them part of the process, and there's no guarantee that they'll even want to be. And uh, I'm probably not going to personally buy every set of pickups. So if they want to send me something to be a part of the shootout, that would be killing. Um, we'll see what they do. We'll see what they do. I don't know. But that's happening. So if you have a if you have a set of uh, if you have a company or one specific PJ set you're interested in, let me know. Let me know. I mean, I've also considered like what if it's just not a set, right? Just getting like a very specific P and then getting a specific J and building kind of a custom PJ set. That was on my mind for a little while. I was looking at different uh, different P pickups and different J pickups. I don't know. I don't know. From all the reviews I've read so far, Aguilar's PJ set is pretty, pretty killing. Right, lemurmusic.com. Everything you need for the double bass can be found at lemurmusic.com. Stop by the website, check out their inventory, uh, bows, bases, accessories, pickups, sheet music. It's all there. Lemurmusic.com. Lemur Music. Well, I'm on the topic. <laughs> Lemur Music is a sponsor of uh, an event happening in Southern California on Sunday, March 17th at 3 p.m. The event is Dr. Matt Hare will be performing a concert on the world-famous Car Kusevitsky bass. Man, every time I say Kusevitsky, Kusevitsky, it's like I have to like, did I say that right? I don't know if I said that right. I, I remember going through it a few times, like practicing it on the air here. Kusevitsky, Kusevitsky. Yes, it's the, it's the world famous Car Kusevitsky bass. This year is the 150th anniversary of Kusevitsky's birth, and so the bass is making the bass is making the rounds, right? The bass is on tour, and the Southern California stop uh, will be here um, from March 17th to I believe April around it's been it's about a month i think april 13th maybe even a little longer but on march 17th dr matt hare will be performing um a program with some kusevitsky pieces and some other pieces you can find more information about this at the baseshedacademy.org backslash events dr matt hare will also be on the podcast in a few weeks talking not only about his events it's not just a business card and a, a flyer he's waving like we had a really good talk Right on the episode is Russell Thompson. Russell Thompson is a double bassist. Uh, I'm sure you could tell by the picture there. <laughs> um, he's also the principal bass player of the Arkansas Symphony Orchestra. 
Uh, I had met Russell when he reached out to me and was interested to get involved with the Bass Shed Academy, uh, which was very uh, exciting for me that he uh, somehow learned of it and uh, you know reached out and was interested to be involved. That was all very exciting to me. And so him and I got in touch and we had some conversations about that and then I, I really wanted him to be a guest on the podcast and the timing worked out and he was able to. One, one, uh, look look out for some more educational resources and materials from Russell. Um, we're in the we're in the planning stages of putting some things together, and that's all very exciting. And I'm I'm really uh, I'm really looking forward to releasing those. What I loved about the talk with Russell uh, in this podcast is the conversation was so universal and kind of inclusive. Everything can be applied to not only classical double bass playing or you know even more specific uh playing principal in an orchestra it was a broad conversation that can be applied to a lot of different genres or even other musicians and instrumentalists it was a fantastic interview and here's my talk with the principal bassist of the arkansas symphony orchestra mr russell thompson how you doing they're doing all right how you doing Good, good. You're with me in my hotel room in Amarillo this week. <laughs> Amarillo. I'm, uh, I'm playing. I'm playing an away game. So, <laughs> who who are you playing with? Uh, Amarillo Symphony. I'm in this. I'm in the section there. We're playing Bartok Concerto for Orchestra and uh, Bach Harpsichord Concerto and um, Don Giovanni Mozart Overture. Okay, it's gonna be a great okay. concert. I love playing out here. Great conductor. What? Like just a great vibe. Sweet. Yeah. How long you been? How long you been playing with them? Uh, this will be three years. I won the job when I was living in Denton, and then I, I was able to keep it. And luckily, there's a travel stipend that'll just barely cover a plane ticket, so I can fly out when I'm in Little Rock too. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. I got stuck in all that snow yesterday. I was supposed to leave Monday, but uh, yeah. oh wait, there's there's a bunch of snow back there. Uh, there was a, well, um, that big storm came down and my flight out of Arkansas got canceled and pushed back. And then my flight to DFW in Dallas got canceled. And so I had to stay there a night and then stayed with family that night in Dallas and then went back to the airport the next day. But it was like a 36 hour delay. Oh man. Oh man. That sounds oh, awful. That sounds awful. Yeah. Well, luckily I'm here now. I only missed one, one rehearsal, so it should be fine. Okay. Okay. Uh, when's the concert? Uh, Friday and Saturday. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, you you mentioned you mentioned Denton. Uh, let's get a little backstory for the listeners. I know your backstory, but for the listeners of the yeah. podcast, let's get a little backstory. Originally, where are you from? Oh, originally I'm from um a little town on the east side of Cleveland called Chagrin Falls. Kind of, okay. it's a lot like uh, Stars Hollow from Gilmore Girls, but in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know, I've never seen Gilmore Real Girls, but I kind of I understand oh, the vibe. Yeah. yeah, okay. It's got a gazebo. It's pretty. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, my my parents were both musicians, so I grew up like having that all the time. Uh, they made me play something, and I was always tall. I always had big hands, so like I started playing bass in fourth grade. Oh, um, wow. Kind of kept it kept it going, and then when I was in. And in middle school, I think my my mom, who's a freelance bassoon player in Cleveland, she set me up with uh, Tracy Rowell as my teacher, who's just like unbelievable. She's one of the best bass players I've ever worked with, and I was just so like 
stupid fortunate to be able to work with her at that age. I really had no business being there, you know? <laughs> okay. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, originally went to the university of Mary Washington. I got a, I got a scholarship and I was playing lacrosse out there actually. Okay. Um, but I was double majoring in music there as well. My teacher was, uh, he had been the bass player in the air force airman of note for like 35 okay. years. It was this guy, wow. uh, master, master Sergeant Paul Henry. Chief Master Sergeant Paul Henry. Yeah, he'd been in the band just forever. He was a, I think he was a Eugene Levinson student back in the okay. day. Okay. And then, uh, you know, I was just like, what's this guy doing out here? And we started talking excerpts and, you know, and then after my freshman year, I went to a music festival. I went to the National Music Festival, the very, the very first year that it was established. And I remember we did Mahler One. And John Chiego was my, like, the bass mentor there that year. He played in Memphis, and he taught at University of Memphis for a long time. Really great guy. Um, and we were playing Mahler 1, and I was sitting next to him. I got to sit second on that. And we got to the end, and I just, like, you know, I don't know if you've ever, like, heard played that piece, but, like, the last five minutes are just this, like, ecstatic, just, like, outpouring of, of happiness and it's like d major okay. is just so triumphant yeah and like we finish and he looks over at me and he was like you're really good at this like why don't you do this all the time <laughs> well <Wow, laughs> he's like question. man you, you clearly yeah. you clearly like love this and i'm like man like because i want to have money <laughs> like yeah. i want to be like happy in my life you know like i want to i want to not not do the whole freelance thing and he's just like man if you love something like you got to go find it and like I kind of blew him off at the time and I made it a couple months and then it was like October, November of my sophomore year. And I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, I'm getting up every morning at eight or seven 30 before my classes to like go in and practice in the mornings. Like, why am I doing this? I'm at this little school. Not that it wasn't a great opportunity to be there, but like that wasn't the vibe of the music department. Right, right. And I was like, I'm doing this all the time. And like, what is it that I really want to do? And so it took a long time for that to click in where it's like, it wasn't like I found something I like and I just fell into it. It was like kind of realizing like I have to do something. Hmm. Now I had watching your parents, uh, your mother was a freelance bassoon player. Your father mm -hmm. played what? And was he freelance? Yeah, um, my my father played horn. He was in the the West Point Field Band um, okay. in the Vietnam years, and then he became an engineer later in life. My I grew up most of the time with my mom, the bassoon player, and then my stepfather, Rich, was a jazz doubler, saxophonist, flute okay. player, clarinet. He played in the Cleveland Jazz Orchestra for years, and he taught at the University of Akron. He taught saxophone there. Okay. Played a lot of Broadway musicals in, in sure. Cleveland. Pretty much everything that came through for like. 25 years okay okay so did that being around professional musicians at a young age did that taint your view of like yeah that's cool but i really don't want to do it so when you, you yes know, like totally yeah. <laughs> like to totally like just like it was everything was always so tight like it was always right. so like especially freelancing in cleveland at that time um kind of after the 90s, early 2000s, the city really kind of cratered because all the steel works and all the other industrial stuff moved out around that time. So right. like a lot of the work that had been in the city, it used to have the Cleveland Orchestra, but it also used to have the opera. There was a ballet. There were two or three other orchestras that were working. A lot of it either folded or just reduced. And like having to watch all that happen 
and watch like how paycheck to paycheck freelancing really is and like the time commitment of it. Yeah, it really like it was something where I was like, yeah, I like playing the bass, but like I I don't want to do this. I was right. I was trying to get like an English degree, maybe do like pre-law, something like that. Oh wow, okay. Um yeah, so I was like not thinking about that at all. And then it was it took a long time to be like, well, this is what I love. Like why would I get a degree? Why would I like spend my life working at something that doesn't bring me that kind of joy? Like how sure. like walking away from that is it was too much, I guess, was what it right. was. It's like I couldn't do anything else, which is a so, nice privilege to have. So now I mean I know you have the job uh, as principal of the Arkansas Symphony but you also freelance mm-hmm. on the side thinking about those years and like you're uh i don't want to use the word contempt but you were you weren't really interested to jump into the freelance world but now it's a part of your profession mm-hmm. like how do you feel about it now and like what would you tell yourself back then that's a great question honestly it's not far off from what I imagined. Um, <laughs> like, like, it's not untrue. Like, all the stuff that was there, like, I knew it was going to be that. Yeah. And, like, yeah, it I mean, is. You, got a, you like, got a great representation of it, though. Like, you were fortunate uh-huh. to grow up in, in a house where you saw what it takes to continue to practice, to stay working at your craft, to grind out the freelance lifestyle. Like, you got a really... Uh, that's kind of a, you know, lack of a better word, privilege to be able to witness mm-hmm. what it's actually like instead of just getting into it because you love it and then trying to figure yeah. it out, uh, you know, while it's happening. Mm-hmm. The thing that kills me so much, especially about freelancing and especially in a lot of these sort of smaller per service orchestras and especially on top of that in a really big market like Dallas, Dallas, Fort Worth was just like how replaceable you are yep um and how like little like nobody's looking out for you like there were a lot of orchestras in that area um i don't know if i don't know what your thing is on this but like i played for an orchestra the the las colinas symphony i played there all through the pandemic i think i was there four years um and then they were still doing they were still doing concerts during the pandemic oh yeah oh in texas like nothing changed I don't think I lost a single gig when I was in Texas during the pandemic. <laughs> I don't think I lost one gig. Like our paychecks went down because like they had problems fitting the audience in. They're like, oh, we'll do sure. every other seat or something. But like, no, I, I was fortunate because I sat in the front half of a lot of those sections. So I didn't get reduced out where they needed right. to like make more space on stage. So okay. I was lucky for that. But like, I didn't lose, I didn't lose, lose that much work, which was really shocking. And I'm like, I'm so sad to hear about all these guys out in, in states that actually care about people that live there. Yeah. I mean, like, back in, uh, back in, you know, like, over like, here, everything was canceled. Yeah. Over here in LA, everybody's, you know, working on some side hustle, trying to teach online yeah. or driving for Uber or oh, whatever, yeah. you know, it was, it was, that was dark. It was dark in LA for musicians. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so now, what, I mean, like in terms of being, Sorry, like, in, I mean, in terms of oh, yeah, being like, replaceable like that, sure. there was that orchestra I was playing with Las Colinas Symphony. They're based out of DFW. They kind of, they gig in Garland and Arlington and in uh, Irving, three sort of suburbs out in DFW. And uh, I had a death in the family last February. My sister passed away. Oh, so, sorry, like, I had a concert. <laughs> I, had a, I had a concert coming back, and her funeral was um easter weekend that march 
and I was flying back. She was, she was an expat. So she, she passed away and she was living in the Netherlands at the time. So mm -hmm. we were there for the funeral and I was coming back. And the way that they did their cycles was they would have um, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday rehearsals. And that Sunday rehearsal was like a two hour string sectional. Okay. Um, I'm flying back in on Sunday. Right. And so I send the personnel manager uh, an email saying like, I'm so sorry. Like I lost my sister in February. Like I'm flying back in. Can you please let me out of this, this little two, two hour sectional on that, on that first Sunday? Like I'm happy yeah. to come. I'll be there like guns loaded Monday. I play for you guys four years. Like, you know, you know that like, I'm not going to come and, and phone right. it in. And he emails me back and says like, Oh no, we're going to go ahead and just take you off that cycle that whole cycle. So you won't get paid for that whole week. And then on top of that, like we're going to go and you're under your service minimum now. So we're going to go ahead and not renew your contract for next year. Oh my gosh. Like that's the, that's the level. Like who is this person? Like, who is this person? Was that, uh... that would have been, that went up to the maestro. I have emails saying that that was the, the, the conductor who is a, did the, very, did the conductor uh, have it out yeah. for you or something like that almost seems kind of personal. You know what I mean? Like not to my zero understanding, but, uh, that's a zero thing. Really? Mm -hmm. That's that's been a, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That if you find there's other players I could get you in touch with, like it happens all the time, and particularly with that that orchestra. Like they've wow. they were on the uh, they've had a lot of problems negotiating with the players, like getting people paid fairly. Um, it's a real nightmare. But like, yeah, they can just it, uh, they can just decide like, no, we'll get whoever else so it's like not even stuff that's in your control a lot of times right sure sure i'm sorry i was interrupting though what were you gonna say oh that's uh, i actually forgot uh <laughs> that's, 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 that's both like fascinating and like pisses me off you know like oh god i i think about that once a week where i'm like i just want to <laughs> just go back and cut that guy's tires yeah like, oh yeah. man like get revenge um, so I actually kind of wanted to circle back now after what, so what would the advice be to young, young you, you know, if you had to go back and about the freelance, you, what you thought it yeah. was is accurate. Uh, was there, how would you, um, speak to the younger version of yourself, letting them know like, but it's worth it. Everything you're thinking is accurate, you know, young Russell, mm -hmm. but, but the payoff is what music's one of those things where like you get out of it not always true but like you get out what you put in and so like sure. if you're if you're deciding like this is the process like i want to have in my life and like this is how i want to move forward like it's it's a question of like are you going to be that cream that sort of rises to the top in those different types of like those different levels of auditions it's like you got applying right. to college you've got applying to grad school you've got summer festivals you've got little orchestras like regional stuff and then you got all these big stuff like all the ixam orchestras like it's like different it's like prize fighting you know it's like different weight classes almost right working your way up um, the ladder and i mean there was yeah 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 and so it's like you're making your way up the ladder and you're improving that process and like there's that end of it but there's also like while you're doing that you get all these great fulfilling moments like mm -hmm. i think like all those a lot of the concerts i play not all of them for sure but a lot of them like there's always this moment where like the concert's finishing and like end of the end of the last movement or whatever or, like even when that applause is coming like it ends and then it's just like this great like cathartic moment where it's like 
all this work I've done and all this like time moving, it doesn't just translate into like money in my pocket. And it doesn't just translate into like a good business deal for somebody else. It like makes people happy. Right, right. And like, that's huge to me. Like, I, I like to think a lot about playing. And I think a lot of the people who are going to the concerts are going and working 40, 50, 60 hours a week at jobs that maybe aren't fulfilling, that they don't even like, or they don't even want to be, or they just want to go somewhere else. They just want something else. And like, I'm so fortunate to have found something that's like so meaningful for me, but also like can give someone else that feeling of like fulfillment and of, 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 of happiness. Like I like to think a lot about that. Yeah. I mean, I, I genuinely think that, you know, our role as musicians and artists in society is we're offering something. It's all a service. You know, art is a service. Yeah. Uh, to to give yeah. back because they need that because they didn't um maybe they had they had the thing that we all have you know but they never pursued it or were never encouraged to pursue it or something but they they need this thing and we need them to show up it's a, it's a mutual uh experience mm-hmm. you know and um yeah yeah i think that's a, that's a I'm big sh- payoff for me too and i'm sure you have this as well in your life where it's like I'm not the most talented player that I know Mm. that I went to school with. And it's like so many of these people were in school that you're like, damn, I'm never going to play like that. Or like, I wish I could do what that guy does. And now it's like, Oh, he's doing something else. Like the life just really wears out a lot of people. And so it's like the, the the best available, the best ability is availability, you know, like if you're going to stay in the game and like make yourself there, like that goes a huge way as well. Um, I don't know. That's kind of, that's a bit of a tangent, but uh, yeah, no, but I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's like so much of it is like, like the only way to the top in anything is to keep climbing. That's the only way you get yeah, there. Is, yeah. You know, that thing. Perseverance. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like I definitely knew it was going to be a grind like that and it, mm-hmm. and it was, it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. Which, at what point, which at what point into your career did that set in? Like, yeah. Okay. I've watched this happen. You know, with with my parents and, and your stepfather, like, okay, mm-hmm. I've watched this happen. Now I'm here. Now I'm. I now. I, did you feel equipped? Kinda, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. there's definitely like some of the nuts and bolts stuff that I need to do better about, just like managing the money part of it. And like when I was a kid, I like when I was just starting out, like managing the schedules, being in being in a bunch of different orchestras and having to be like, I'm sorry, I can't do this or like for god's sake like double booking yourself like <laughs> we've all been there <laughs> you know yeah. stuff like that but like you get you get you get through that and you learn to like set it up and 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 you know be where you're supposed to be but sure. like it's a really chaotic life too like like i play in five different orchestras and so I'll be in Little Rock sometime and then I fly to Amarillo or I'll drive to Fayetteville or I'll drive to Texarkana or, or wherever. And uh, that's that's like just your home this week. And like that's a lot to, to adjust to, like not having that stable home. That, right. that was tough Have too. you been able to kind of uh, work out a version of a work-life balance that is working for you? Or are you just kind of a slave to the... To the gig? Both. <laughs> you know, like, uh, <laughs> I mean, like, there's, you got to have your priorities. Like, there's one thing yeah, that's sure. going to always sort of come first. And, like, it's got to be, 
it's got to be playing or else it's going to be something else and you'll right. you know you'll lose that you'll lose that drive or you'll lose that thing i don't know i i kind of feel that way where it's like if this if this isn't your dedication like something i took away from my time with with max dimoff when i was at cim is like he very much approaches the base like like a craftsman or like even like a like a like being a manual worker like it's all about like building up those muscles and like getting mm-hmm. those calluses in and like yeah. being there and like you could just play it they'll put it in front of you you just got it and yeah. like his whole ethos was just like i'm gonna be showing up on the job and like be in the best shape i can to be there and sure. like that's huge and like that's a lot to maintain right yeah, yeah it, it's of course yeah i mean it's like everything else, you know, to use that analogy of physical whatever, you know, you have to deal with your mm. diet, you have to deal with yeah, consistency, yeah. you know, all that being said, then you got to worry about your sleep cycle and making sure that's consistent to fund the whole thing. And so, I mean, it's a, it's a complete lifestyle. It's a complete lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. And in, I mean, if you don't find time for yourself and for the things that you love, like you just won't make it. So like, yeah, there are, there's a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm really happy living in little rock. Actually. It's a beautiful state. There's so much hiking. It's easy to get outside. Um, had you been there before you fishing a little bit? (laughs) Yeah. I was, I had been subbing a little, uh, okay. I subbed there for about a year and then I won the job. Okay. Okay. So, uh, the thing that fascinates me about classical players and like, you get this job and you have tenure in it, correct? Mm, like you, uh, I am in the tenure process currently, but yes. Okay. Uh, what are you on? Like not a probation, but like a review period for a couple years before you're oh, officially. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 How long so is that review us, process? Two, two, two seasons. Two seasons. Okay. Yeah. Um, and because I had, I had actually won a section job for a year and then that re- starts when I when I went to principal so it's two oh. years from September oh yeah okay okay oh so you're newly principal then yes yeah I won the job in May okay okay uh when does the season start then September and ends when yeah yeah uh I want to say April or May okay okay so it's mostly pegged into the school year it's about 100 services a year wow uh where I was going with this is like you get the job and it's a steady employment as a musician, but you have to relocate, you know, right. <laughs> mm-hmm. For all the audio listens, for all the audio listeners, there was a ah, steady ish. <laughs> um, it could be steadier, but yeah. Right. Uh, but then you have to relocate. Like, did you ever think like, huh, don't really want to live here. Or would you only audition for orchestras where you were cool with the city? Cause it would suck. To be like, yeah, the gig's cool, but I hate this place. But I hate it here. I mean, I'm not saying you hate Arkansas by any means, but that would be like a, that'd be kind of a double-edged was, sword. No, no, totally. Yeah. Yeah, it's like those, it's the golden handcuffs thing where it's like, yeah, I'm now I'm stuck here. Yeah, like, right. totally. I, right, so you, were you only auditioning for, for... For stuff where I wanted to be? Uh... Not particularly. No, it was more just like, what do I think is going to be kind of next for me? Or what do I either? What do I think I can take down? Like what's going to be attainable? Okay. Or like, what's, what's a reach that's not going to be like an, Oh my God reach. Like I'm probably not going to win the next Boston symphony spot. Like I'm probably not going to win. Like I'm just, 
like not quite punching at that weight class yet. Okay. If I was being completely honest for myself, but like I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to be advancing and I'm starting to take down like jobs that can offer some stability. And like, it's part of that trajectory for sure. Um, I mean, and having more process. time, that's a big one. Trusting the process is always a big one. Um, having more time as principal, like that's gonna, you're going to get a skill set together mm-hmm. and just like, you know, logging in hours. If you're a pilot or something, you're just, Logging in hours, and most of the time, that's that's the only way to get to the next thing is just log in the hours. It's true, and I I I love sitting in the back of sections and just like being that guy who's in the back and who's like gonna come in every time and who's gonna like push that sound from the back and just be okay. like the kind of person who your principal player is never gonna look over and be like, hey, we gotta fix that. Yeah, it right. might just be like, oh, little you know, like little adjustments, but like I love that. Like I love being okay. in the section. Winning, winning a principal job was a bit of like an adjustment for me. Cause I, I don't like being, I don't like being that guy who has to turn around and be like, Hey, that was out of tune. Or like, I don't want to pull someone aside and be like, Hey, we got to fix this or, or having to coordinate with everyone else. Like for me personally, a lot of the times I don't love doing that. I think most, a lot of musicians don't cause most musicians are really sensitive. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, so is it mainly just the disciplinarian aspects of, of principle that, that you're kind of like, ah, this isn't, you know, it doesn't align with your personality and all that stuff. A little bit. I'm getting, I'm starting to get, I mean, who knows? Maybe not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It feels like it's starting to get a little more comfortable and like getting, finding a good group of guys that a group, good group of players that like you can, you can come in and feel like there's a lot of cohesion there. Like we have, we have a lot of people on our sub list and that are in our section that I really am happy to play with. And I'm like, Oh, thank God you're here. Like, let's go. And like, that's a great feeling to be able to be like, Hey, these guys want to come and they want to play with, with my band and they want to come and play with me. Like, that's really nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like these are also my friends, and like I went to school with a lot of these people, and a lot of them are are, and a couple of people in the section are older than me, and okay. so it's hard to be like, like you know, you you don't you don't want to look at someone who's been been in the game for like a long time and be like, hey, this isn't quite right, you know, like that's right. a lot. <laughs> um, how how do you uh, how do you go about setting the tone? for this section to keep them uh, they're all strong players and so it's not like you have to coach them on how to play the bass but to keep that level up so where they come in prepared so you don't have to be the disciplinarian like if you how do you go about just keeping yeah. that you know keep them making sure that they they've done their homework and they're they're dialed in themselves so that you don't have to single anybody out and be like, you know, hey. If you, I mean, if, if you figure that out, let me know. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, like, I like, haven't figured I don't it out. Know because I'm yeah. taking notes here right now. Trying to, I'm waiting for it's, your answer. It's like, I don't know. You got to find a way. You got to find a way to talk to kind of everybody. But it's like, actually, like, this is the one thing we got to right. fix. And so, like, it's. It's it's a lot about trying to, to like trying to lead a little bit more by example. Like always be early. Absolutely. Like try to be try to be the guy who shows up with it with it going and and 
Like if it starts with a good connection between your principal player and your conductor or the principal player and the other like front desk string players and you can be plugged in, that makes it easier for that sort of like stuff to filter down the chain back to the section and like for them to have clear sight lines up to you and to the conductor and like having it be clarity. And like yeah. there was also a saying, there was a saying, I need to get better about this, like saying stuff the first time. Ed Barker would always say, you know, when you're in a, when you're in rehearsal, don't forgive anything. And when you're in performances, you forgive everything. Right, you know right. what I mean? It's like nobody's nobody's going to go into a performance trying to phone it in. Nobody's going to go into a performance like trying to mess it up. But like in rehearsal, that's your time to be like, hey, this happened. Let's try to make it more this way. Yeah, like, to really utilize the time. Yeah, yeah. And like in a given cycle, we don't have, I mean, base there's a lot of like honing of, of little things of like here, we want this stroke to be sort of like, we want this sort of middle of note, or we want like the cutoff to be more precise or whatever. Like it ends up being smaller details than like something that's going to change the flow of the whole concert. It's a lot more about cohesion and then like having the same game plan, like right. keeping everything unified so that the, it's, it's not me and other people. It's like the base section is one unit. Sure. And then the, the strings are one unit, you know? sure um and just trying to find like how can i blend into that like how can it be more like like what everyone else is doing because and for bass a lot of that doesn't filter down like the the violins aren't going to come over to you and be like hey this needs to be fixed like you have to be <laughs> kind of self-starting because the conductor doesn't want to spend all day being like basses we need to be this like that's not the point of the symphony like sure. we kind of need to be self-starting in terms of like finding those little details and deciding like we're gonna we're going to make that happen and make it like just a little better coming out of the back. Yeah. Um, now I know you studied, we talked about this last week. Uh, you got your doctorate with Jeff Bradetich. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you... uh, I did not finish my doctorate. I got, I did all the classwork and then I won a job and, and left, but I do not, uh, okay. have it. I do not hold the doctorate. Are you, are you still <laughs> pursuing it? No, unfortunately, uh, North Texas does this fun thing called continuing enrollment, which means that you have to pay every single semester if you ever want to finish your coursework. So you'd have to be paying right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in a time where like I'm spending 35 or 25, 30 weeks a year in a hotel room, not even in Little Rock, you know? Right. And then the rest of it, I'm in Arkansas. I'm like, I can't go back and, you know... It, it would have been nice to get the doctorate, but as much as anything, I was really fortunate to use my time at UNT to like be at a very, very affordable school. So I could pay basically out of pocket. There was a ton of work in the DFW area where I was able to immediately like jump in and get into a lot of regional orchestras. Um, that wasn't going to be what I was doing long term, but I could keep my head above water, pay for school, make rent. And not have to like get that grunt, not have to get that coffee shop job, you know? Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like that was huge. The, getting that time with with Mr. Bradetich was huge. Like really smart, thoughtful, authentic guy, and just yeah. a really, really clued in teacher who's you know he's been there and he's done that, and he has he has a lot of things that are like kind of very unique to him, which is nice because I had had a lot of different teachers. I studied with Max Dimoff and I studied with Ed Barker and I studied with Don Palma. Um, and it was like def definitely three different flavors of ice cream. And then coming back in and, and getting, getting a fourth one was huge. Like it's so nice to be able to think back to like 
excerpt classes with five, six different teachers where you've looked at the same thing and everybody has different non-overlapping conflicting opinions about pretty much all the excerpts, hmm. you know, and being able to, and being able to sort of take all the stuff you learned and then like filter it through your own taste and like what you want to get out of it was really helpful. Um, it was, I feel really fortunate to have had all those different perspectives is what I mean. Yeah. We'll be back right after this. The features are brought to you by the International Society of Bassists. Stop by isbworldoffice.com to check out the latest news in the double bass community. All right, folks, get heard on the Bass Shed podcast. I am opening up the middle of the show to talk about what you all are up to. Stop by thebassshed.com, click on Get Featured, and let me know what news you'd like me to share. If it's upcoming gigs, if it's your website, if it's your social media handles, if it is your YouTube page, whatever it is, stop by thebassshed.com, click on Get Featured, and exactly that, Get Featured on the Bass Shed podcast. Again, on Sunday, March 3rd, the Bay Shed Academy is proud to present a masterclass by Eric Curtis. Eric Curtis is a touring upright and electric bassist, songwriter, producer, arranger, and composer. Eric will discuss the importance and value of having a diverse skill set and how the sensibilities of a bass player translate into some of these other fields like songwriting and music production and composition. If you are enjoying the Bass Shed podcast, please support the show. Help us keep the lights on. <laughs> That's really what it is. Uh, I got to keep the lights on in the studio. Right, right. Uh, what are we on? Episode 118? Huh? I'm not in this for the money. I genuinely love connecting with all these bass players. I just got to pay the bills. That's it. Uh, please consider supporting the show. Uh, there are several ways to support the show. Um, with warm hearts, right? That does matter, right? You can support it with a warm heart. Uh, also, a little bit of money. Eh. <laughs> not going to lie. There's uh, you know, The warm heart doesn't keep the light on. Not, you know? It's like when you play a gig and everybody's like, "Oh, we loved it," and they walk right past the tip jar. Like, "Oh, great, yeah." I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna tell my landlord that 13 people loved it. Let's see what happens. Let, let's see what happens. I got like five good jobs, 13 we loved it, and and two, two. When are you coming back here? Let's see if that. Let's see if that keeps the lights on at the apartment. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting. There's you can support through Buzzsprout, you can support through Patreon. Um, my my hope is that people and folks decide to get featured on the podcast, not because not because it's like more money than the other two, but I really want this podcast to build and cultivate a community and share with listeners what other listeners are doing and where to find them and where to engage with them. Also, I the community building thing is really important to me. So, so, rant over, rant over, rant over about the tip jar. Again, this has been brought to you by International Society of Bassists. Excellent, sir. Now, when you teach, let's say, said expert, where you had five different approaches to it, um, do you find yourself gravitating to one approach more than the others? Uh, on, not all the time, but like, if it's, you know, excerpt a over here like okay yeah i like how this person mm -hmm. talked about it 
from all the other perspectives I got, I kind of agree with that one. Now on X or B, I kind of choose someone else's approach on that. Or do you have you assimilated all the approaches and you have your own uh, kind of approach to it now that's influenced by the, all those? I think more the second one. Like it's really mm. important. Like like you know how a camel is a horse that's built by committee. <laughs> okay. Like it's really important not to try to be like everything to everyone. And I don't think that's doable anyway. So like, I don't, it's really hard to be like, you can't take five different opinions and, and, and do them all at the same time. Like you need to find like, I think, yeah. Like I think like, for example, Todd Sieber or Scott Dixon, like the way they explained this particular passage was like, great. Like those are the notes I'm taking. Like, thank you. You just dropped this pearl before me. And like, yeah, yeah. If you're in, if you're in classes long enough and you watch people, you, you yourself make those mistakes. And then as you get older, you turn around and you watch younger students make those same mistakes and get different feedback. Like, you're just like, oh, I've seen this before. Like, I know what, I know what this is. And then I know what some, what two or three other people might say about it. But then like you filter that through your own taste, you filter that through your own discernment. Mm -hmm. So it's like, take everything you've been from, but then don't, don't try to make that camel, like try to make it something that's, that's yours. And that's, that's influenced by everyone else, but not, you're not trying to recreate. I don't, I don't want to, I would, if I could, but I don't want to play like Max Dimoff. I don't want to play like Scott Dixon. I do. I very much do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. um, right. Like I want to play like me. Of course. And yeah. Yeah. But it's it's like a it's like an illusion. Like you you reference those other you reference those other seminal texts, but then like I'm trying to speak too. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I I brought up uh Jeff Bradetich because I was curious. Do you do solo work? Like I know he does a lot of solo work. Is is that something you've uh, gotten into? I like kind to. Of- like I definitely played. I've played solos a lot. I played. Uh, I mean, going back all the way to high school, I played concertos with my high school orchestra, but like, boy, it's tough out there for bass. Like there's not a lot, no one's, no one's beating down your door to be like, Hey, do you want to play the Von Hall concerto? Right. Like we need a guy. Right. Like yeah. you, you have that dinner store, Freddie. Like it's not, the, the phone's not ringing that way. So like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm really, I was really fortunate that like, I got to play a lot of great recitals when I was at North Texas and when I was at BU, when I was at CIM as well. And, and Yale as well. Um, like playing the solo recitals or getting to play chamber music. Like that's been my biggest thing for that. But like, yeah, for me, the phone's not ringing as much to come in and, and play solos with orchestra. Like maybe once I get tenure with, with Arkansas, I can swing it and, and play something with them. But like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right, is that still? Um, uh, I'm really, I'm fortunate though. I've gotten to play a lot of chamber music, so like okay. being one and a part is is a lot like that too. Sure, sure. Is that something that um, you're interested in or inspired by enough to really pursue, or is it? Because I know so much of this conversation has been very much about the working aspect. Yeah. Of of either principal or section player, but it's been a very I don't want to say blue collar approach, but it's very much about working as a musician. You know, we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about that so far. Whereas like the soloist, mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's work, but it's, that's a different thing. Like that's not, 
that's not the working world necessarily. As I see it, but I'm also not a no, basketball player, sure. so and I mean, straighten me out if I'm out of line here. I mean, I'm for sure not as plugged into that world of like having a talent agent and getting hired by orchestras and, and soloing right. like that as a lot of other players, for sure. But I do, I do have friends that do that. I have a friend who's a very fine violin soloist named William Hagen. Um, mm-hmm. We've known each other a long time, but man, he's just, it's kind of a similar thing. I, I feel where like he's got, I, I assume, I'm not entirely sure, like he's got his book of like all the stuff he could bring to your orchestra. So like his craftsmanship is like keeping that honed and keeping that, keeping that okay. diamond sort of strong. And then like the phone will ring or his agent will be like, here you go. You got to get on a plane. And like, it seems, it seems like a higher stakes, better paid, more stressful version <laughs> of of that that other stuff you know like it's it's hard for me to imagine soloists like like jeff or or like these other people your hillary Hahn, your your aunt sophie mozart whoever like it's hard for me to not see them and see that craftsmanship Mm -hmm. like i think i think music and go together so well and i like to think of like a lot of those olympic sports like when you see a gymnast and they do that floor run and you're like oh my god you see this grace you see this this motion and then you're like what i'm really watching is a hundred thousand hours of work but and like there's something really beautiful about that and you're what you're not just watching like talent you're watching drive and you're watching you're watching dedication and yeah, yeah proven yeah right um, and so I think that like, that's the, that's the thread that runs underneath performing, which is sports, which is, which is everything else. It's like gaining and then maintaining and then applying your skills. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have one of those three, it's not going to function. Right. Right. So I, I, I wish I could do it more and have a better perspective on it, but like <laughs> soloing, <laughs> soloing seems to me just a, just a higher stakes version of that. Like, right. I don't, I don't know that I've played a perfect concert ever. Like, I, I don't know that it's like, I don't know that I've gone and played every single note in a whole concert perfectly. I don't, I don't know that that's ever happened, but like soloists might be able to say that. And I think that's a different sort of ethos. Now, what degree, what margin of error, what margin of error are we talking about here? Because, uh, again, not a classical player, but I mean, so are we talking about margin margin of error of like you're missing notes or like no maybe I should have put a little different vibrato on the C sharp going into it like is are we talking about like microscopic nuance where you feel like you don't play it a hundred percent or you're just like yeah I just played a B flat instead of a B what the hell both <laughs> yeah like definitely both I love I love the candid answer I love it yeah okay like. I mean, it's a volume issue. Yeah. It's kind of like a, I, was, I was working with Dennis Whitaker, uh, who is the principal in the, in the Houston Grand Opera for, I think, forever, basically, like 20 yeah. years. And he was like, you know, playing, playing opera, it's like playing Frogger. It's like playing the, the video game <laughs> Frogger on the easiest level for like three hours yeah. and never dying. Like that's, <laughs> that's like such a skill to just like stay locked in. And like, or, or like, yeah, I'm sure you may, you may have had this happen where you're like, 
you've got that page that you know and you've got it you did it with the metronome you're hitting it right. you get to the end of the excerpt and it like you play the downbeat and then it's like 27 measures of rest with a big cue and you're like bam, you hit that final downbeat and you're like yeah i got oh what measure are we in like, yeah, 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 you know yeah, like yeah. little stuff like that we were just like like it's hard to to maintain that that mental like feeling of being locked in for so long for sure like stuff is gonna happen or you know uh yeah how do you address that or practice that or go within yourself to fine tune that and you know kind of work that muscle i think it's important to try to yeah yes and i mean doing it and also like having an institutional knowledge of the piece like sure you want even if you haven't played something before you should show up like you've been there before you mm. know like um and that means like doing your score study like if you see that spot like you get the part and you look and you're like oh 35 measures of rest let me get my score and write in some cues and listen to it right. like having that work done beforehand is like huge because i'm 32 i'm in an orchestra with someone who's 52 who has played that symphony 20 times and when i right. screw that up they're gonna look over at me and be like hey kids like what are you doing right, right, right you know and so like institutional knowledge is huge but also trying to realize that like it is a process and trying i think not trying to commit yourself to like not making the same mistake twice is huge like something's right, gonna go something's gonna something's gonna be in a different place or just be spongy where you didn't expect it and you're going to drop a pits right before the down, you know, that downbeat and just be like, <laughs> but like you, you kind of like, sometimes you get one, but you don't get two. So mm -hmm. like, you're like, Oh, that happened. Like big circle, put the eyeglasses in, like look down the section and like, make sure you'd be like, Hey, that was my bad. Like we gotta, we gotta lock in on that downbeat and like, or, or whatever the situation is where it's like, it happened once it won't happen again. Like you get you get that one, and then that's that's it. As as a principal player, when you when you someone in the section is making reoccurring mistakes. Now we've already talked about where being a disciplinarian isn't uh, that's something you look forward to within the job. Mm -hmm. How do you approach it? Do you leave them to do the self editing? Like you know, you just messed up. You know, mm -hmm. let's see if it happens again. Huh? Happened again. You know, you messed up twice. Mm -hmm. third time is it three strikes you're out is it do you jump in and address it if one of the things about being a principal player is like when you're in the section i'm matching my sound to the section and trying to push it forward but like as principal it's really hard to be like here's my conception of what i should sound like here's the section but then here's what's happening behind me and mm -hmm. like comparing that to my playing to the section sometimes for me it's too it's like too much and so like sometimes my my stand partner will be like hey did you hear that and i'll be like eh, not this time you know like right so it, it's to the point where like in an orchestra in that environment sometimes it is really hard to listen back and like there's going to be stuff that i'm missing but like if something is happening if i hear something multiple times or if just like it's it's something that's nuts and bolts like it's kind of everybody or or you get to that pause in rehearsal and you're like, Hey, you know, guys, this wasn't quite right. Like this needs to be here. And it's, it's never a point of like judgment. It's just course, like, sure. this is the product we need to make. And, right. and like, let's, let's get there. 
Keep it in a team sport. Does that does that answer your Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. is a team sport. It's the sure. ultimate team sport. Of except course. for maybe football. I don't know. But like yeah. you get all these different all these different people all coming together to make one organism. It is. It for is. For sure. And I'm for lucky sure. I have that team sport background. Um you talked about, you know, uh being thirty two and someone in the orchestra maybe fifty two. Have you found any kind of uh, vibe from the older older cats in the orchestra? Like, are they throwing you a little bit like, yo, what's up with this young kid principal guy? And Like, politically or generationally, is there any kind of thing you've encountered that way? Or are they really good at hiding it? I think age <laughs> is one of those things that... Maybe, maybe. Yeah, and yeah. I may just be bad at picking up on it. Like, right. you know, no, no, that was just a joke. As yeah, someone who, who thinks everybody hates them anyway. Like, yeah, 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 yeah totally. <laughs> uh... I, I would hope not. I, mm. I think that there's something I don't, I don't think I've had like too much of that, but it, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it's been thought, you know, but tr- just everybody. Are there people college. younger so, than like, you? If you're going to, if you, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. We've got a few that are younger than me. Okay. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I would say I'm on. I'm probably in the bottom twenty percentile for age, and like overall in the orchestra. Sure, that makes that makes like sense. In, yeah. in the youngest, yeah, yeah, for sure. But no, I think I think I've had a lot of good experiences with a lot of the older colleagues, especially in in Arkansas Symphony. Like, there's a few people right now I'm thinking of that are like, yeah, I would love to play something with you, or like played something in rehearsal, and like the tuba player turns over, and he's like, yeah, man, you know, something like okay. that. Like, okay. I think it's it's like age is a segregating thing. Like a lot of the the twenty and thirty year olds, they're not going to go seek out those people who are older. But then you're going to have those those moments where you're like you're sitting next to each other on chamber music. You're like, hey, it's great to play with you. Like bringing that positive vibe to people and just right. being like, we're all here doing the same job. Like, yeah, it's just you know. What I've liked about this talk so far is there's there's like this all this information that even though you know. Uh, probably the majority of people that listen to this are not principal <laughs> uh, basis in the symphony. But my my favorite part is like that we've covered a lot of information that it's applicable to so many, whatever mm-hmm. they're playing, you know, just bass players and artists. Like it's a lot of just universal topics on the, the topic that it could also be universal. How do you structure your practice time? Because hmm. I feel like that that would kind of fall in line with where we're at, you know. Like that's applicable to anybody practicing an instrument, specifically the bass. I don't think saxophone yeah. players are listening to this. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <Maybe>. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I definitely when when I was when I made that switch when I was at Mary Washington, and then all the way through when I was at CIM and BU and and Yale as well. I had been doing Max Dimoff's warm-ups, which is like, mm-hmm. it takes a, between an hour and a half, two hours to do all the exercises cumulatively. And I was knocking those out five or six days a week, first thing in, in the morning. So like I would show up early, like just like if I had nine o'clock classes, I was in the room at seven and I would do that warm-up. And like, that was it. And like, that to me was just like getting my head above water. Like mm-hmm. now, now you're floating and now you're ready to do that work. So like I would come in and I would, I would knock out that warm up, go to class. And then by the time you're back from class, like you're ready to go a little bit again, you know, you get some calories, 
And then like, that's your time to like, take that, that manual work that you've been doing to build up that technique and now apply it, you know, Mm. um, as time, as time has gone by, I found myself moving away from doing every single thing in there every day and taking it more into like sets of different exercises, incorporating stuff that I've stolen over the years from other people. And I try to get in and warm up and do only technique and only scales in as many different ways as possible for like at least an hour in the morning. Like, and and if I don't get that time in, it's weird for me. Like I feel right, like right. not okay. Yeah. yeah. Now would <laughs> so you like do it all, it all has to start from that foundation. So daily you're just investing then, in the foundation. From there, yeah. Like then it becomes practical. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 And, and there's, there's, there's a, uh, there's a big bag of about 20, 25 things that I'll pick enough for like an hour, an hour and change or however, however much time I have in that early morning session and like try to knock that out. And then when you come back later, it's like you're walking, you know, it's like you can fly a little bit. You've got, you've already got your technique. You've already got your stuff. Right. Max, Max used to tell me this story. Do you know the, uh, the Carl Flesch scales system? Yeah. The green yeah, book? The, big, the big book. Yeah. 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 I know that one. He was, he was, he, he told me once someone at, at some festival, like flesh was at the festival and he was like, he brought him aside and he was like, Oh, I just did the whole scale book this morning. And flesh looked at him and he looked down at his watch and he's like, it's four in the afternoon. You should have been done with that by nine 30. Why are you bragging? that's what the money's for like, right yeah oh that's hilarious yeah like that's what i think about it's like you don't want to be in the room like you don't always want to be there but like neither do most people in a lot of the jobs that all the sure. time like it's sure. not always fulfilling in that moment but it's about it's about that process and it's about having that delayed gratification a little bit so you do you do you regularly do two sessions two practice sessions a day the first one being in the morning and it's the focus mm-hmm. is just on technique and then what kind of do you just kind of structure it however it fits your day that day when session two will be or is it always a very systematic like mm-hmm. session one you know take a walk have something to eat for 45 minutes and then i'm back in for another hour and a half like is it it's definitely it's definitely different now that i'm out of school like because mm-hmm. Cause in, in conservatory, you've got a lot of those obligations that are, that are midday. And like when you're freelancing, like if you're teaching, even if you're teaching a lot, like during the school day, unless you're going into school and teaching in, in school, you've got like the school day, the work day, right. basically free. So like, in addition to all the other nonsense you have to do to keep your life on track, like yeah. you kind of, kind of look at your week and say like, all right, here and here today, like that's what I've got. And then keeping a journal has been huge. Sure. So like being able to be like, all right, I've got an hour and a half this afternoon. Like, what have I looked at this past week? And like, what have I not looked at? Like, what's that mm. thing that's sitting on the back of my stand? That's like, oh, crap, I got to learn those notes. Right, right, right. You know, like, um, have you heard of that a list, B list, C list sort of mentality? Uh, no, no. When I was doing a journal, I still kind of play around with the journal thing, but I, I don't, uh, use it like that. I was kind of I modeled my journal experience after the Oren O'Brien thing. 
And some of that I would go mm-hmm. through, like what uh, what she called like the vitamins or something. Like you, you know, you do two sessions, and like it's kind of structured like this. And I, I, I took the structure of her practice model, but uh, applied all mm-hmm. my own stuff to it. I've only worked with her once. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What, what's her system like? Uh, I haven't worked with her personally. I, I when I first got to LA, I took some lessons uh, with a classical bass player who's now the assistant principal in Colorado. Um, and he had studied with her at Juilliard and she's got two sessions and it's like, it's very, uh, <laughs> for the lack of a better term, microdosed. Uh, it's like 20 minutes on this, you know, like the first, the first session will be like an hour and a half, two hours or something. And it's, it's very much 15 minutes of this, 20 minutes of that, 15 minutes of this, you know, you really don't start, and that mm-hmm. includes playing like pieces you're comfortable with for maintenance. You know, so it's not yeah, just not totally. just uh, maintaining technique, but it's maintaining repertoire. And then you know, there's a, yes. a, a portion in the second session where you're investigating either new etudes or new uh, pieces or whatever. And I took that model and I was applying it a lot to the jazz thing and where you'd play old repertoire or a new repertoire mm-hmm. i was just doing transcriptions or learning new tunes or whatever totally. but i yeah I, I liked her model a lot and so that didn't really have an a-list b-list c-list thing um but it was very much mm-hmm. i mean you know part of <laughs> part of my practice space back in the day was like an egg timer like 15 minutes scales whatever ones i don't get to yeah, pick pick totally. up there tomorrow you know and like mm-hmm. whatever i'm doing scales for 15 minutes whatever i don't get to all right, tomorrow I pick up on D flat, you know, great. Yep. Um, and in, yeah. instead of trying, That's, because that I had seems quite similar. Okay, okay, because I had, I mean, before that, like I had, like, well, if I'm doing scales, it's four hours straight of just scales till I can't stomach it anymore. You know, burn myself out mm-hmm. on it, and then won't touch it again for another two weeks. That it was a very uh, erratic approach to practicing for a while. Totally. Something I took from doing those warm-ups uh, the way that Max used to do them and have, have really gravitated towards was he would do, he would stay, he wouldn't do scales, he would do scale. So he would do his whole warm-up in one key, more or less, the things that okay. were tonal, he was staying in one key. And the way he did it was he, he was like 12 months, 12 keys, I'm staying in this key for, for the whole month. So like all of his scales in that warm-up session were in one key. Now are you just I, picking I like a tonic note. With that. Is this like everything in B flat major, or is like B flat? Now we're doing B flat minor, B flat major, the different minor forms, and everything's in relation to B flat. Or is it specifically all a a major tonality or a minor tonality that he's doing? Um, there were some that had to that worked in sort of modes. So okay. um, the first the first exercise on that thing that he would do is called vomits. It's a Gary Carr thing. It's a it's a Gary Carr exercise. Okay. Um, so like imagine you start with just like first finger on the bottom of the scale, and then you're going up, and it's a two octave scale, but you're going to the next note, and then back to the root, and then the next note up, and then back to the oh, root. Yeah, so yeah. And you run that two octaves up and down through all of the finger combinations. So like start on one, end on one, start on one, end on two, blah, 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 all the way through. And like, he would always do it on the G. Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. The Brad test shifting exercise. Right. It's all, it's all in that same like coaching tree. Exactly. Right, right. <laughs> um, and so he, he would stay in one key, but because he was on the G string, he would do it in different modes. So like mm. a flat major, you're perfect. You can start a flat yeah, Ionian, yeah. do two octaves of that and then B flat Dorian, blah, blah, blah. But like, if you're in C major, you're going to be like in A, Aeolian. And if you want, you could go B, Locrian. You could go C, Ionian, like be right back in that thing. So like sure. one tonality, but like different modes. A lot of okay. it would be pegged into the major keys though. Okay. Okay. I see. But he wouldn't um, like, but he wouldn't do like, you know, uh, a whole tone or something. Cause like, I know like some people would just pick a note, a pitch, and then base their whole scale system mm -hmm. off of that. Like I'm going through mm -hmm. major, but then like even, so if you're going to say for this conversation, C is the starting note. Mm -hmm. You're going to do C Ionian, C Dorian, C Phrygian, C Lydian, C Mixo. You know, go through it all that way. All the different forms of minor off of C. The diminished scales, the whole tone, everything, melodic minor, blah, blah. But everything's in relation to C instead of, uh, you know, everything being related to a tonic, which is what you were talking about. Mm, a little bit. I think that that's a very jazz oriented way to look at that where yeah. you're thinking about it creatively creatively based on that one sort of starting point sure there were definitely like we would do arpeggio patterns that would go like like if you're in c it'd be like c um c minor back to back to c a you know a minor f major d minor seven uh and then good like g7 and c like make a yeah. standard sort of thing and then like c diminished or whatever but but no, there there wasn't as much of like of of living in, in the other tonalities. I don't know. Okay. There was there was something about like having the one tonic note. But yeah, yeah. not that that I mean I hadn't thought of it that way. No. <laughs> That's <what you're laughs> not, not, like a little bit, but not no, we weren't like Yeah, no, there wasn't quite so much as like, oh let's let's take it back in this way it was more like uh i mean like just like for a me, craftsmanship thing just for me like talking about that that shifting exercise to go through it and this is just how my brain works to go through it uh you know either starting if we're going to be in c major again and you're going to start a aeolian and then work through the shifting exercise mm -hmm. b locrian all the modes i think if you just because it's all the same to me. So it's yes. one, the same sound, it's the same thing. So you on an open string, if you take an open string and you, for this shifting exercise, you start with the lowest fingered pitch, which would yes. be A, uh, you've already yes. played them all. If you play exactly. through A with that uh, was through something. all the combinations, like you already, you've already played everything else just by playing the one. So if you start at the lowest and you do all the combinations, you got it. Yes, absolutely. That was something Max would say. He's like, yeah, I do shifting drill every day because like everything on base is shifting. Yeah, yeah. And there's only there's a discrete number of shifts that you can be offered. So it's like, right. oh, I've seen that before. And it's like, Bruh, like right there. Right. Like it was less about it was less about the key you're living in than about like accuracy and the, and the craftsmanship of like making sure that the way you shift is polished and smooth and relaxed. Sure. And that the way you're allocating your bow is polished and smooth and the, 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 that you're, you're shifting 
like you're you're it's I, I get very philosophical about that exercise because it does so much. Like mm-hmm. that shifting drill exercise is like seminal. It's, yeah. it, if, if you do that, you will get better at bass immediately. Yeah. Agreed. Um, it works with and, so much. It works with like sound production. It, like how, how quick you, you engage with the string, you know, the release of it. Mm-hmm. It works with all these mm-hmm. little nuanced things that I don't know if there's a better way to address those things. Because you don't even know you're doing it until you finally realize that that's part of the exercise. And then when you start yeah. thinking about those little aspects, you're like, I don't know how else I would have practiced that. I don't know how else I would have gotten yeah. those things together. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah that's, I mean, uh, and that's like the, the or exercise. Like it's everything comes out of that. Right, right, right. Yeah. Basically. That was so yeah. vital to like – developing as a player sure. <laughs> why does i i'm shocked when i don't see other people doing it all the time i'm like do you know this and they're like yeah yeah like you know or whatever they're like i do something else i'm like okay yeah like this right. works for me yeah but, yeah <laughs> man russell thanks so much for being on the podcast man and uh have a great have a great concert what do you got coming up hey, after your it. time in amarillo what do you got coming up so we got Bartok Concerto for Orchestra with Amarillo this week. Um, next week, I'm going back home to uh, Arkansas Symphony. We're playing Saint-Saëns Organ Symphony okay. and um, a Bach Flute Concerto with one of our flute players. Can't wait for that. It's going to be great. Uh, after that, I go to Texarkana, I believe, and I'm playing Shostakovich 10. And then uh, going up to Fayetteville, and I forget what we're playing there. Something right. like that, yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, man. just it's 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 just one after the other. Yeah, yeah, you got um, it all dialed in. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a lot. Well, hey, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been really great. Yo, yo, yo! This is Craig Gash. Subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on the Instagram, the YouTube. Okay. Leave us a comment. Ah, I just stubbed my toe. All right, all right, all right. That was my talk with Russell Thompson, the principal bassist of the Arkansas Symphony Orchestra. I am honored that um, he has taken an interest in the Bass Shed Academy and uh, that we are putting together a course right now about uh, popular popular excerpts for the classical double bassist. I think that'll be a really, really good uh, resource for the classical bassist and having a deeper understanding of some popular excerpts. Um, you know, it's also... Like, he sent me a couple... He sent me some of his ideas and it's like, just just in the idea i'm like oh man yeah like i I was already learning from it so i'm really excited to be releasing it um for maybe people that don't dig that much into classical but want to have a little bit more of that in their playing uh and in their technique uh it'll be great for that it'll be great for the young classical player you know uh, maybe preparing things for auditions stuff like that it's just a great learning resource from the guy doing the job right he's the principal cat he's the guy He's the guy. Uh, it was a great time talking with him. That's uh, that's about all I got for this one, folks. That's all I got. I'll catch you on the next one in a minute. <laughs>